today from the Global Lane, clean up your act or risk losing American taxpayer dollars. Trump cracks down on the World Health Organization. They're uh, China-centric, to put it nicer, but they're a puppet of China. Largest number of homeless in America since the Great Depression. But is California's solution the way forward? More than 38 million jobless Americans. How to get the economy working again. Show of support. A jailed Texas hairstylist teams up with a defiant 77-year-old Michigan barber. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. President Trump says the World Health Organization has 30 days to make, quote, major substantive improvements if it wants to avoid the United States making the WHO funding freeze permanent. The president says his administration has completed an investigation, which shows the U.N. health body is responsible for making multiple failures in the early stages of the coronavirus outbreak. They gave us a lot of very bad advice, terrible advice. They were wrong so much, always on the side of China. When I did the ban, they thought it was inappropriate to do. I did a ban very early. If I didn't do that ban, you would have lost hundreds of thousands of more people in this country. And again, the United States uh, pays them $450 million a year. China pays them $38 million a year. And they're a puppet of China. They're uh, China-centric, to put it nicer, but they're a puppet of China. In a letter to the WHO Director General, President Trump said, quote, the only way forward for the World Health Organization is if it can actually demonstrate independence from China. Well, joining us to provide some insights on the China World Health Organization connection is retired Brigadier General Robert Spaulding. General Spaulding is author of the book Stealth War, How China Took Over While America's Elite Slept. He's a former China strategist for the Joint Chiefs of Staff and senior fellow at the Hudson Institute. General Spaulding, it's good to have you with us again, so please explain for us what missteps were discovered by the administration's investigation? Well, I think, you know, what the WHO talked about in mid-January was what they call minor, uh, potentially minor human-to-human -human transmission. Of course, we knew know that the Chinese Communist Party knew that there was human-to-human -human transmission. And in fact, you know, the, the WHO was aware of this but nevertheless continued to tell the world that um, there was no danger from the coronavirus spreading. And this is at the same time that the Chinese Communist Party was encouraging uh, travel outside of Wuhan to international destinations, but not domestic destinations. So essentially the Chinese Communist Party caused the pandemic and because the World Health Organization didn't do their job Actually, they were acting at the behest of the Chinese Communist Party. They actually aided and abetted the spread of the disease. Well, how is it that they, the China has so much influence on the WHO when the United States contributes nearly $900 million uh, in recent years it has to China, uh, in China, about uh, 10 times less that, only about $83 million. So why so much influence from China? Well, because the Chinese Communist Party actually does something called elite capture, and it's really about finding those individuals that have a, an ability to make decisions that benefit them and encouraging them, creating uh, relationships with them, many times, uh, oftentimes financial, that allows them to you know, gain some, uh, some kind of profit or benefit and the Chinese Communist Party get their allegiance with regard to the decisions they make. Now, 
We don't have evidence, direct evidence of this with regard to Tedros, but we do know he comes from Somalia. Of course, Somalia has gotten billions of dollars from the Chinese Communist Party. So inevitably, the World Health Organization, although it gets 10 times the amount from the United States, the leaders of the World Health Organization are, are certainly suspect. China's kicking back against those, of course, who are demanding an investigation. You know about Australia. They led the way in that. Now China's placing an 80% tariff on Australian barley imports. Here's Australian Agriculture Minister David Littleproud. We did in no way ask for confrontation. It was an investigation that we asked for. And I think the world last night accepted that view. This wasn't about persecution. This was about understanding of a pandemic that 300,000 souls lost their lives to. That is a responsible thing to do as a good global citizen. So hard consequences for Australian farmers and for those pushing for the truth to be revealed here. How should the world respond, General? Well, you know, what we were doing prior to coronavirus was slowly decoupling the two economies. You know, they, the Chinese Communist Party doesn't believe in free trade. They don't believe uh, in civil liberties. And so we were trying to protect the American businessmen uh, from, you know, the, the uncompetitive behavior of the Chinese Communist Party and their companies. That being said, you know, the coronavirus really demonstrates how dangerous that's been, you know, in terms of PPE, masks, uh, you know, uh, active ingredients for pharmaceuticals, antibiotics. So what's going to happen is we need to accelerate that decoupling and, and really begin to work together as democracies to reflow our trading relationships, reflow our finan financial relationships. And as we do, we'll be, we'll be able to protect the societies and the companies from uh, the predations of the Chinese Communist Party. Finally, I've got to ask you about China's actions around the globe. As many countries are still trying to save lives during the COVID-19 pandemic, our Asia correspondent, Lucille Toulousan, recently reported about the Chinese Navy threatening uh, Vietnam and Indonesia in the South China Sea. That comes at a time when the Chinese Communist Party is losing support around the world because of COVID-19. Its military is actively, aggressively, uh, even is acting aggressively, even with close flyovers of U.S. ships in the region. I'm assuming you think that's not really a way to win friends and influence people, is it? How should we respond? Well, the Chinese Communist Party built these four illegal islands in international waters. Uh, you know, the International Tribunal in The Hague basically ruled against them. They've ignored it. Their goal is basically to steal the resources of the countries in the region from their exclusive economic zones. Five trillion dollars in trade flows through those waterways. And the United States Navy is there to protect the uh, the international waters. I think we're going to have to stand up collectively as democracies against this aggression. Um, I don't think that's going to lead to conflict, but we have to stand our ground and we can't let the Chinese just roll over and take international space away from the global commons. Okay, I'm sure more to come. Brigadier General Robert Spaulding, Senior Fellow at the Hudson Institute, Always appreciate your insight, sir. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. With at least 38 million Americans now unemployed, what needs to be done to help the homeless? Nationwide, homeless numbers are the highest since the Great Depression. In California, 
Governor Gavin Newsom demanded hotels house the homeless. The state leased 15,000 hotel rooms. Now a new survey finds that only half of those rooms are actually occupied. And mass coronavirus testing of 700 homeless people in Jacksonville, Florida, came up negative. None of them tested positive. Well, joining us to share some thoughts on this is Michael Fisher. Mr. Fisher is president of the Central Park South Civic Association in New York City. Michael, it's good to see you again. So first, California. We all know about the homeless crisis there, 150,000 people setting up tents, sleeping just about anywhere they want, especially in L.A. and San Francisco. So why are only half of those hotel rooms that were leased for the homeless actually occupied? Well, the issue is, is that majority of the homeless people are mentally ill and they don't want to go into into hotel rooms or shelters. They they feel safer on the streets. And uh, so that's where they're going to stay. And as long as the government allows them to pretty much dictate where they want to sleep, where they want to stay, where they want to set up their tents in front of businesses, in front of residences, um, then pretty much they rule the roost. And when Governor Newsom's program first went into effect, I think last month, Los Angeles city officials threatened the hotels, saying they'd be commanded or seized by the government if they didn't comply and house the homeless. That reminds many people of what communist governments do. Your thoughts? If, if, if what our politicians, what these politicians are doing in uh, New York and California and some of the other very liberal cities doesn't show the voters that it's time that we make a change, I don't know what will. Voters have to get out there and vote and vote these people out of office. It's enough already. I think we've we've seen the worst through this crisis of how incompetent these politicians are. To threaten hotels, to dictate to hotels is wrong. First of all, putting thousands and thousands of homeless people in home, hotels is just the wrong way to do it. It's a reactive approach to things, which is typical of what these politicians do. They wait till the problem gets so bad, they don't deal with it, just like the homeless crisis. Then suddenly it's so bad and, and everybody's complaining about it and you have the virus spreading all over the place among the homeless population. And then suddenly they come up with a bright idea, let's take over the hotels. I want to ask you about Jacksonville, Florida, because not one homeless person tested there had the coronavirus. Why is that? Are fears of COVID-19 spreading among, among the homeless uh, overblown? No, I don't think so. I, first of all, I think that uh, kudos to Florida. I think that uh, the, uh, the governor there and the mayors there are doing just a spectacular job, just overall. I mean, look what the job they're doing. I mean, they've opened up the state. You know, we see a decrease in the virus. People are happy there. People aren't thinking about committing suicide. People aren't worried about their businesses going under as much. And uh, so kudos to, 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 to uh, Florida. Uh, as far as New York is concerned, I mean, the virus has spread among the homeless. The problem that we had in New York is the subway system. I mean, the subway system has been uh, a disaster. I mean, it's, it, it's been turned into a homeless shelter. Uh, I mean, for years since th this mayor has been in office, it's become a homeless shelter. And unfortunately, when you're dealing with a subway where everything is pretty well closed in and everything, you have the homeless that are defecating and urinating and coughing and sneezing and touching everything on the trains. They're past. They, a lot of them have the virus. A lot of them have passed the virus around to people. That's why New York has such a huge number. I mean, statistically, 33% of the virus people that have gotten the virus is out of New York and New Jersey. And the New York and New Jersey, they use the subways. You know, over 40%, 43% of the people that have died from this virus are New York and New Jersey. 
So uh, it's been handled very poorly here, and uh, it's the worst. Now, California, the numbers are significantly less. So then I say to myself, Governor, Governor, open up your state. And the mayor uh, is, is a disaster. For whatever reason, he wants to keep Los Angeles closed forever. And that's going to just completely destroy jobs out there and businesses. And, you know, my feeling is, is people who make these decisions shouldn't be earning salaries. Give up your salary. The mayor of California, the governor of California, the governor of New York, the mayor of New York, give up, and the mayor of New and the governor of New Jersey, give up your salaries. Don't take a salary, although the, the, the governor of New Jersey is so wealthy, I don't think it would matter. But everybody else, give up your salaries and stop. And, and if you're not going to give up your salaries, then stop making decisions that ultimately put business, people out of business. It's a shame that they're, that they're in those positions doing that. It really is. It's sad. Well, we all are concerned about the homeless, so I guess it's just common sense solutions on what to do for them. Michael Fisher, we thank you so much for being with us today. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Every state in the country has reopened at least some of their businesses in advance of Memorial Day weekend. But that doesn't mean everybody is back to work. 36.5 million Americans have filed for unemployment benefits since late March. That's nearly one quarter of the U.S. labor force. Just how long will it take for Americans to get back to work and the U.S. economy to start moving in the right direction? On the CBS program 60 Minutes, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell said recovery may take some time. This economy will recover. It may take a while. It may take a, a period of time. It could stretch through the end of next year. We really don't know. Joining us is someone who has his own thoughts on this, Dan Celia. He's national radio and TV host of Financial Issues. Dan, always good to see you. So that was the Fed chairman. What do you think? Is economic recovery underway or a long way ahead? I think it's a long way ahead. Uh, it is underway, uh, certainly, as we start to see uh, organizations, companies starting to reopen a little bit, restaurants opening, some other things at 50 percent capacity. Uh, the airlines earlier this week announced that their ridership is up. That was somewhat of a, a, a small piece of good news. They have a long way to go. The economy has a long way to go. Uh, Jerome Powell indicating, of course, it's going to be uh, through next year. I think from a GDP perspective, he may be right about that. It's going to be at least fourth quarter uh, since he said that on Sunday, uh, earlier this week, right after that, they were talking about GDP growth in the uh, second quarter being down 35%. That is a huge number. By the way, that's one third, Gary, of all the GDP. I mean, that's one third of GDP in general. Uh, so, you know, that's a little bit more than what had expected. Businesses like J.C. Penney going bankrupt, Congress and the president enacting the CARES Act to help. What needs to be done now? Well, I, I think what needs to be done is probably a little bit more of the same. There is going to be some more aid supplied. But it really is going to take a treatment for this, or a vaccine, of course, would be the silver bullet. But it's not a matter restaurants, for instance, are opening up at 50 percent capacity, but nobody's going. Uh, 
So the fear in the communities, uh, in those workers, have to be uh, alleviated. As you know, Gary, uh, automobile uh, assembly lines, manufacturers have gone back to work or opened up. And I'm waiting to hear what those numbers are going to look like, how many of those union members actually came back and got on the line and went to work. And, you know, that's going to be an issue. And that's why all of this is going to take a little while. If they had a treatment, it would be a little easier. I wouldn't be as fearful, right? If I'm going back to work on an assembly line and yeah, I don't know where the guy next to me was last night, but at the same time, if I were to get it, at least they have a treatment. So you can see where the fear would be subsiding. It would be a little bit easier to get back to work. So that's why it's going to be a slow, slow go. And uh, we've got a lot of the, the Democratic states, managed states, they just don't want to open. And uh, they, they believe, I, be, I guess, that the economy getting worse is going to be good for them in November. I totally disagree with that premise. This is going to be worse for them. But they haven't figured that out yet, I believe. Yeah, it may come back to bite them. And another $3 trillion package, of course, of relief yep. now dead in the U.S. Senate. Others like Mark Cuban are saying $1,000 monthly checks for people during the pandemic. What do you say about those proposals? Because I know that for a long time you banged that drum about a growing deficit. Yeah, I, I, I do and I have and I still, I'm still doing it. But I would say to a Mark Cuban... That's great, Mark. You know, uh, we can get in debt that way and do it. But we are economy depending upon consumers. Exactly what are they going to consume with that $1,000? Can you tell me? What are they going to consume? Nothing's open. Nothing's thriving. What are they going to consume? If they're not consuming all the money in the world, is it going to help the economy if they can't consume? So... I think that's putting the cart way before the horse. I think it's a ridiculous theory that if we give people money, the economy is going to get better. We got to give the economy money so the economy can get back to work. And then people will have places to go, people to meet, dinners to eat, and so on and so forth. So we got to get the economy going. Uh, we can't keep giving money to consumers. I, I'm not, listen, I'm all for safety nets. I get it. I understand. We've got to do it. But we've got to think logically through all this. Yeah, I right here in Virginia Beach, uh, saw a restaurant, that a small restaurant that only had two tables out. They said you could go outside and eat, but they only have two tables. So it's a little difficult to uh, get your business going again with that. Dan Celia, financial expert extraordinaire. Thank you for your time, Dan. Appreciate you. Gary, you're welcome. I'm glad to be with you. Thank you for having me. Although states are reopening some businesses that were shut down because of the COVID-19 outbreak, many Americans are still suffering. We recently told you about the struggle of 77-year-old barber Carl Mankey. He didn't want to go on food stamps, so he reopened his barber shop in Owasso, Michigan, in defiance of Governor Gretchen Whitmer's extended shutdown order. Six state police troopers served Mankey a cease and assist order, and then a judge ruled in his favor saying he could remain open for business until a court hearing. Not taking kindly to Michiganders disobeying her orders, Whitmer's government suspended Mankey's barbering license. After hearing about the Michiganders' predicament, 
Dallas hair salon owner Sherry Luther traveled to Owasso, Michigan to show support for Mankey. Ms. Luther had a similar experience, only she actually spent time in jail for disobeying a shutdown order in the Lone Star State. A lot of you are wondering um, why I stood up like this. Me too. Uh, Good job. I'm just, you know, a normal person. Um, I had 20 hairstylists working in my place. I was already a month behind on my mortgage. Um, they were behind on their mortgage. They couldn't feed their kids. Governor Whitmer, you say you're only acting to protect the safety and health of the people of your state. But really, a 77-year-old barber who's taking all the necessary precautions to make sure the COVID-19 virus doesn't spread throughout his shop. He's a threat? Perhaps he's more of a threat to you and your authority than he is to the health of his clients. Do you really think customers would get their hair cut by Mankey if they felt unsafe? They'd stay away. And who's to say that haircuts aren't essential? Once again, here's Sherry Luther. I have people in my shop, older ladies, that have disabilities. They cannot wash their own hair. A lady called and said, I, my hair has been washed in four weeks. Call us unessential. Tell that to the families and my hairdressers. Tell them their family and the people that they're taking care of, they're not essential. Tell them to their face instead of hiding in a building, Gretchen. To me, Governor Whitmer, haircuts for people like that are essential services. Keeping pot shops open? Maybe not so essential, unless you want to keep people stoned so they won't care about government overreach. The wise thing politically? Be the champion of the little guys like Carl Mankey. Let them open up now. Save your political capital for the fight to rebuild Michigan's economy. That's going to be your biggest struggle in the days ahead, not COVID-19. Focus your efforts and political future on that, not criminalizing a 77-year-old man who's just trying to maintain a little bit of dignity during this viral outbreak. Well, that's it from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter. And until next time, be blessed.